Jews against the native Hebrews. Hellenistic, of course, means Greek Jews. Against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. The twelve summons the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables, but select from among you, brethren, seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer, and to the ministry of the word. And the statement found approval with the whole congregation. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles. And after praying, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the free men, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia rose up and argued with Stephen, and yet they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. And they put forward false witnesses who said, This man incessantly speaks against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene, Jesus, will destroy this place and after the customs which Moses handed down to us. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. May God bless to our hearts an understanding of this part of his word. Our Heavenly Father, we thank thee for the blessed song which we have just heard and pray that the assurance of the love of the Lord Jesus might be evident in our midst here this day, that we might know that the whole business of the church is to yield to the Lord Jesus Christ and to show forth his love day by day. We rejoice that we have the privilege of bringing a part of our material possessions and submitting them to you and praying that the deacons and the elders of our church will wisely use them to bring glory to your name. Receive our thanks for your good gifts to us and bless us as we wait before thee. In Jesus' name, amen. I was thinking while I heard this, the choir singing Blessed Assurance of the multitudes of people all over the world who have been blessed by that remarkable song. 
and to the fact that Fanny Crosby, the writer of that hymn, was known to a former member of our congregation here in Montreat, Dr. Nettie Greer. I remember going to Dr. Nettie Greer's funeral. She was a missionary to China. And uh, at her funeral service, they sang one of Fanny Crosby's hymns. And the minister, who was one of her grandsons, uh, told the story of how when she was a young woman studying to be a doctor in New York City, that she had gone to visit Miss Crosby. And those of you who know the story of Miss Crosby's life will remember that when she was born as a little tiny infant, the doctor made a mistake and the wrong drops were placed in the baby's eyes to wash away the matter that was there. And she was blinded through a mistake in uh, the delivery room. Yet she became a strong believer in Jesus. And when someone asked her of all of her hymns what her favorite was, she said that it was the one I shall see him face to face. That it meant a lot to her that the first face that she would ever see would be the face of Jesus. And Dr. Greer, Dr. Nettie Greer heard her tell that story and they related it at her service. I thought about that because of Stephen. Stephen was, we believe, the first of the deacons. And what a noble example he is to us all. Last week we studied about how three young men taken far away from home were put to a severe test. And when they were faced with the challenge to their faith of either bowing down and worshiping falsely and against their God, they said, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us and he will deliver us. But if not, O king, be it known unto thee that we will not bow down to thee nor serve thee. You remember that they were cast into the furnace of fire and they saw one like unto the Son of God, Jesus himself, with them in that furnace of affliction. Those three men were delivered. But this man, Stephen, had the presence of Jesus with him, and he was not delivered. He was stoned to death. Now, as briefly as possible, I would like to tell you about his story, about him. As the church was born, just as the baby Jesus was born. And you remember how the wise men came far to see him and how they went to Herod and said, where is he who is born king of the Jews? And Herod didn't know and he called in the religious leaders to a sort of general assembly meeting, a synod meeting. And he said to them, tell us where the Messiah is to be born. And they searched their scriptures and found that uh, the Old Testament book of, uh, of Micah had said that he was to be born in Bethlehem. And yet none of those religious leaders went to Bethlehem. But those wise men did go there, those Gentiles. They went there to see the child Jesus who was born. Herod 
had wanted them to come back to him and report. But they were warned of an angel not to go back to Herod, and so they departed another way. And Herod, in his wrath to destroy the Messiah, had all of the infants under two years of age slain. This is the way Satan works. He wants to destroy the baby Jesus, the Messiah. He wants to destroy the infant church that was born at Pentecost. The church we call the body of Christ. And just as Messiah, the Lord Jesus, was the body of Messiah, so his body, the church, when it is filled with the Holy Spirit and is spread, Satan seeks to destroy it. Persecution arises. They are told no more to speak in the name of Jesus. They are shut up in prison. Uh, they are forbidden to speak in his name, and yet when they are beaten, they count it uh, all joy that they are counted worthy to suffer for the name of the Lord Jesus. Isn't that remarkable? That they counted it a joy to be beaten for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when Satan attacks in this way, he seeks to destroy. But the church only begins to spread because they spread in the name of the Lord Jesus. They spread. Satan attacks within the church. He brings hypocrisy in the form of Ananias and Sapphira, two people who lied to the Holy Spirit. If Satan cannot destroy the church from without, he tries to destroy it from within. And he still seeks to do this today. To destroy it by destroying a confidence in the authority and the inspiration of the word of God. To lead it in another way other than what scripture teaches. And to bring havoc upon the church. And so... There comes a dissension. The church has always had a certain amount of grumbling. And uh, it's interesting that uh, there is a dissension that arises amongst the distribution of wealth. The church was persecuted and people brought their goods and held them in common to assist one another. It's been a very touching experience for me to meet with a new member of our college little Beatrice Wong from Peking. What a delightful and refreshing experience to see someone born out of the persecution of Christians in China with a faith that's so refreshing and clear. And how she told our little group at the church at our prayer meeting in the house, which she called the house church, When I asked her how she felt when she got on the airplane to come to America, she said that she looked at the tray of food that they served her and broke into tears when she thought how little her people had to eat back in China. She was afraid and nervous 
but she prayed and they had prayed over her. And so when she arrived in Tokyo and wondered how she would ever understand the announcement and was so unaccustomed to hearing the sound of English, she prayed and God provided two Chinese who spoke her language to help her get on the right flight from Tokyo to the United States. And then in the United States, she was met by those who could speak her language and who loved the Lord Jesus and could help her. I really believe that Solzhenitsyn is entirely correct when he says that perhaps the purest form of the church today is from under the rubble, from under the rubble in Russia, where they are persecuted for Jesus, and from under the rubble in China, where they are persecuted for Jesus. And here, we need to get back to the basics. Let's look at Stephen. He is outstanding, and there are some outstanding characteristics which I've listed in your bulletin about him. First of all, they sought to settle this dispute among uh, who would get what in the church, men who were of honest report. Let me say this quickly. No Christian is spiritual who is not ethical. No Christian is spiritual who is not ethical. We must be of honest report. He was full of the Holy Spirit. How often we talk about selecting officers and we say, well, we want to get these people who are tactful or we want to get these people who uh, are popular or we want to get this. But how often do we actually say, let's seek those who have evidence of the Holy Spirit in their lives? Jesus was conceived. The Virgin Mary was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus is conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And the church was born of the Holy Spirit. And the mark of a Christian is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And when the church has the Holy Spirit and he is at work in our lives, then no power, not in Peking, not in Moscow, not in our big cities here, no power can stamp it out. And they found this out in Jerusalem when they persecuted the church because at full tide the church began to spread out and it spread out because of that testimony to Jesus. When I think of the work of the Holy Spirit, I think of the tide being taken and going out. I can remember when we lived in Scotland going to preach on the island of Harris. And we'd gone uh, from Edinburgh to the uh, Highlands and had gone to a little town that I'll never forget the name of, a Scottish name, Kyle of Lacouch. And here we were to take the steamer to go over to, to the island of Harris where they make that thick Harris tweed. And uh, when we arrived there, we went into a little hotel to eat lunch and I looked and I saw nothing but, the sten- nothing but blue-black mud from the sea, and the stench of the sea was, of the mud was there. And all of the little boats were buried up in the mud. 
And uh, even the steamer, uh, of course, couldn't get out in things like this. But we stayed. And the tide came in. And when the tide came in that afternoon late, I looked out and saw the same little boats bobbing around in the, the full tide. And then later, of course, in the evening, we took the steamer and we went across to the island of Harris. Well, the church, when the great wind of the Holy Spirit comes driving through it, the church goes out at full tide and begins to spread. And so this man, Stephen, who has a Greek name, uh, is not only a person of honest report, he is full of the Holy Spirit, and thirdly, he is full of wisdom. The book of James says that if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth freely to all men, but let him ask in faith. And when we ask of God for wisdom, he gives us wisdom. And here Stephen asks God for wisdom. And when he is brought before the people who accuse him, God gives to him great wisdom to speak before them. And the longest speech recorded in the entire book of Acts is this speech of Stephen's here. It's a long speech which he is going to give in chapter 7 where he speaks of the whole history of the nation of Israel and how Jesus is the Messiah and uh, his wisdom is there. Fourthly, he is a man who is full of faith. Faith. The kind of faith that we talked about a moment ago that the little Chinese Beatrice manifested when she came to America and they prayed for her. The faith which all of us need, which is the only answer to fear. I remember one of our older members of our congregation I went to see one day. She was deeply troubled about something. And then she told me how she had been blessed by reading a little line that said, that fear knocked at the door and faith opened it and there was no one there. <laughs> that's a blessing. And that's the only answer to fear is faith. And Stephen could face his accusers unafraid. And fifthly, he was full of grace. Now grace it's interesting to me that the word grace and charm are both the same in New Testament Greek. Charisma, really. But it's a charm that's there. Not the kind of charm that Hollywood speaks about and the cosmetic people talk about, but the kind of grace and charm that comes from the inward work of the Holy Spirit. And this enabled him to speak the truth in love. He spoke the truth in love to these people who were against him. And that to me is a great, the first fruit of the Holy Spirit is of course love. And here he speaks the, the truth of God in love. And it had great power, sixthly. It had power because his conscience was clear before God. He was obedient to God. He was obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the work of the Spirit in his life. 
And so there was no way that they could find his words refutable. His words were irresistible. They were full of the power and the authority of a clear conscience. And it's interesting. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Augustine one of the early church fathers, and Martin Luther, the great power of the Reformation, both said that they thought that the conversion of Saul of Tarsus came about as the result of the prayer of St. Stephen here. That's an interesting thing to me, the power and authority of his clear conscience and seventhly, his face is the face of an angel. That's the glory of God shining about him. He glorified God and said to the Lord Jesus, Receive my spirit. He saw Jesus, it says, standing. And someone has suggested that Jesus, who is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, stood to greet Stephen. And when I think about this, I always think of one of those things that you read about in church history that means so much. When Sir Thomas More was condemned to death on very specious charges, all false and trumped up against him, He looked at the jury that had voted that he should die and his judges and he spoke to them and he said these words, I have nothing further to say, my lords, except this, that just as Saul of Tarsus held the clothes of those who stoned St. Stephen to death, and he is now in heaven with St. Stephen, and they are friends forever. So, my lords, it is my earnest prayer that you and I shall both enjoy full salvation and be friends together in heaven, although you have condemned me now to death. That's the grace of the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of witness that they saw in the early church. That's the kind of faith that we need today. We need this faith which is honest, this faith which is full of the Holy Spirit, this faith which is full of the wisdom that comes from the Word of God, this faith which trusts 
this faith which has grace and this faith which has the power of a clear conscience and this faith which is lit up because it seeks the glory of God. Let us bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you for the gift of the church. How we thank you for believers and all parts of the world, especially those who suffer so painfully. We do seek for them your mercy and love and pray that you will teach those of us who are rich Christians in a hungry, starving world, how we can possibly witness to those who suffer such affliction. Teach us to know that we will never be more like the Lord Jesus than when we suffer with those who suffer and weep with those who weep. Help us to be sensitive to their needs and loving. And we pray that that blessed grace which your servant Stephen manifested here and gave as an example of service to the church might inspire us to service also, not just to talk, but to deeds of love and mercy. Bless us, we pray. And if there be here present any who has not yet yielded his or her life to the Lordship of Christ. Lead that person today into a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And for those for whom faith in Jesus has become stale and churchianity has just become a habit, speak to them so that out from under the rubble in our own country there might come the fairest flower of true and firm faith. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.